welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Everybody. This is Evelyn Hershkowitz, Rita Services Librarian from the Syosset Public Library. We're here at the Turn the Page podcast with debut author Issa Arsen, and we're very happy to have her. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Issa. Yes, you got it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit of, it's right directly from her debut novel, Shoot the Moon. It says she's a certified bleeding heart and audio engineer based in South Texas, where she lives with her spouse and a comically small dog. She's published several shorts and pieces of experimental interactive media. Inspired by her own childhood summons in New Mexico, Shoot the Moon is her debut novel. It's really well written. I'm enjoying it. Oh, thank you. Great story. How did you come up with this? Oh, gosh. Many, many, many different things kind of came together and and happened at once. It's a very serendipitous book. Um, The crux of it as sort of like a puzzle box time story um that has an that's been an idea that I've wanted to explore for a long time so I've I watched um Arrival in 2016 and read the Ted Chiang short story the story of your life that it was based on and that like blew my mind straight open and I was like okay I really want to do something like this I want to do something where the science and kind of the science fictiony nitty gritty is is really hinged around the character's journey rather than something that is se- separate from them. Um, but I never really had the right idea for it. And then um, my parents, my mom's entire side of the family is from New Mexico. She grew up in Albuquerque. So I spent a lot of time there as a kid. Um, and she and my father live there now. And I was going through some old um, home videos that that I was getting digitized and I got the digital files back and I was watching these these uh, eight millimeter films that I had no way of watching. I just knew they were in the box of stuff that I wanted to get taken care of. And they came back in the batch and they don't have any sound on them. It's just picture, but they are in color. Um, and all throughout my childhood, my mom had told me like, oh, my grandfather had these incredible rose bushes. They were all over his house in, in Albuquerque. Um, he, they were like his pride and joy. He tended them so, so gently. Um, and in these digitized videos, then all of a sudden I see the rose bushes and it was just like, okay, wow. It was this really cool sensation of, of being able to see something that I had really only heard about before. So this idea of being able to go back in time and look at sort of where one comes from and, and being able to have this tangible connection with the past um, really excited me. And I kind of got, I, I got thinking on that track of, okay, New Mexico, rose bushes, somebody's garden, this this interior family drama that that only really unfurls itself as you get to know more about the main character. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something with NASA. I wanted to write something in the 60s. Uh, and New Mexico has a very specific uh, kind of angle to it in, in that time period due to the development of the atomic bomb. And, and they were there was a lot of suburban growth happening then because of that. There were, there were a lot of science jobs happening out there, um, families coming from all over the place. And, and what would that feel like from a child's perspective, somebody who doesn't really understand all of that? So 
everything kind of mashed together and I came up with Annie and the rest is history. I just took it and ran with it. And now here we are. Okay. Could you just tell everybody what the book's about? Yes. Uh, Shoot the Moon is about one woman, Annie Fisk. Um, the book takes place at three main parts of her life told out of time. So you have her childhood in New Mexico in the 1940s. Her father works on the Manhattan Project, which is the atomic bomb development that was happening out there. Uh, then you have her college years. She goes to San Antonio and she ends up at a school where she meets a young woman named Evelyn that she forges a very tight connection with who kind of teaches her how to look for more than just the numbers in life, also to look for the beauty. Uh, and then she finds herself in Houston working at NASA as a secretary during the Apollo 11 launch. And she starts kind of this strange, unexpected dance around one of the engineers. Mm -hmm. um, that too is another relationship that helps her inform a lot of her choice making and her sense of ambition. Um, and she makes a discovery in the computer racks that really turns everything that she thought was true on its head. Um, and from there, the story just kind of hurdles forward, splits apart, comes together. It was really fun to, to make all of that happen. No, it's very good. It's so well written. I'm really enjoying it. Um, did you always want to be an author? I always have been writing. Uh, when I was a kid, that was always my answer. When somebody says, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd always say writer. Um, but I never pursued it professionally or scholastically. I would always, it was always something that I kept for me. Um, my notebooks were very much like my diaries growing up. Like my mom would be like, I looked in your notebook and I'd be like, how could you? It would be as though like she looked at it, yeah. you know, my, my own little private musings. But yeah, I, I've been a really voracious reader my whole life. Uh, my parents were really intent about making my sister and I fall in love with reading and, and be very curious people. Um, and the logical next step for my brain was like, you love reading these stories, try writing your own, like see what happens. And and really it, it, it's my way of, of making sense of the world around me and my feelings and being able to put them on the page makes them more objective. And it really does it's like advanced Barbie dream house where I just get to play dolls all the time. I get to make up these characters and, you know, put them in scenarios and, and it's really fun for me. Um, and yeah, I, I took writing classes in high school. Um, I still take like community classes. I, I really love the ability to just keep learning and keep growing as a writer. Um, but I, I, for school, I ended up going to school for music composition in college, which is writing another kind of style of writing, um, sort of a different language, still telling stories, still using mm -hmm. different instruments to come together and, and make it happen. Um, but yeah, I, I started, I kind of, I remember thinking to myself and setting the machine in motion and in, in probably around 2018, I was like, well, you know, I should probably write a book. <laughs> I've been telling myself I wanted to do this for a long time. Um, I feel like I have gotten my skills to a point where it's fun to read my own work. So let's see what happens. And I wrote a couple different manuscripts and, and managed to finish them because I had not finished anything really up besides, you know, a couple of short stories that were just for me up to that point. But I finished a novel length manuscript around pandemic time. Obviously I didn't really have a whole lot going on like most other people. I had to sort of give myself a hamster wheel to run on. Um, 
And after I sort of put the final pen stroke on that, it was like, well, let's just see where this goes. And it was, I, I remember telling somebody else previously where it's, it really was just a matter of, well, I might as well. It's, I have this thing that's done. So let's see if I can get an agent interested. Okay, I got an agent. Now let's see if we can take it on submission and see if it picks up anywhere. Because um, I knew... I've, I've self-published a novella before and that was really fun and I'm glad that I did that, but I did learn through that process that self-publishing just requires a different skill set that I don't, I don't have. I'm not a marketer. Um, I don't really like social media that much. It's fun. I think I have one platform on Instagram. Um, but it's it for me the joy of writing comes so much more from crafting the story and really collaborating too. Um, that's I think the the composition aspect of of becoming a creative person made me really keen on collaborating with musicians and and other people being able to say you know here's my work how does it resonate with you can you play this does this make sense um, then it it that skill set translated very easily into working with an editor where you know my my editor Kate is incredible Kate Dresser um, she is very able to kind of dig through all of my ideas and hold one thing up and say well what about this and being able to yes and somebody else's creative output and, and her opinion on where things are going versus my opinion on where things are going and like either finding the middle ground or finding out that we're on two opposite sides of where we think something should go and, and being able to discuss that um, makes it makes the iteration process of coming up with stories really exciting because then it's it's not just about me anymore, it's about us. And I think that that is a really inspiring thing. It's it's traditional publishing is really, really fun for me. Well, you, have, I have to say, most authors don't have it as easy and quickly as you. I mean, very lucky. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it was very swift and unexpected and just sort of like, all right, if this is going to take off and go somewhere with with a team that really that really feels this passionately about it, then I'm along for the ride and I'm, I'm yeah. just happy to be here. <laughs> I, that's fabulous. I mean, I speak to a lot of authors and they have manuscripts in the drawer and ones that have been rejected. And Oh, I have so many of those too. Trust me. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I've got a lot of no's and, and even I'm, I'm my agent and I have talked about it too. And I've said, you know, I, I have no problem shelving anything that we just don't think is going to move the, move the bus in the right direction. Um, Cause really at the, at the end of the day, all I want to do is write. Um, and if something gets picked up and published and makes it all the way, there are so many gates to pass for a book to make it into the form that, you know, a hardcover copy, paperback copy, whatever right. it is. Yeah. And um, the fact that it is, it is hardcover, which is, it is. <laughs> That's yeah, really like was, the gold standard, you know. That's, it is. And the, oh my God, the jacket that. detail is beautiful. The art team knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I, I, I am so gorgeous. in love with this book. Yeah, they did a wonderful job. A, a book being born, I think, is just such a rare thing. And, and to be able to see that and appreciate it and know that it is not the case for every story that deserves to be told. Um, that I just, am, I'm very lucky to get a slice of the pie at this little portion of, you know, this little wink in time that that is is very short in comparison to the whole history of publishing and the whole history of people telling stories to each other um it's just very very cool to be here right now yeah no i it's wonderful i don't know if you're an audiobook person or not but i started listening to part of the audiobook 
And that is very well done also. I love her voice. I don't know her. She's wonderful. She, Kristen C., I believe yeah. she works pretty often with, with Penguin Audio. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she's incredible. I remember I got a couple samples from the audiobook producer when right. they were starting to, to cast it. Um, and I was listening, listening, listening to a few, and then I heard her and I said, Ooh, I like that. Like, and, and I sent along some samples of, you know, I really like how she does Annie's voice is sort of the, the, the Annie's narration is quite interior for, for many of the scenes in the book. Right. Um, and there are two love interests. So I knew that I wanted those to also sound right. So I mm -hmm. sent over some samples that feature both of them. Uh, and she just hit right on the nail with both of them. Yeah. Um, so it was so much fun to listen to. I did, I spent publication day and the day after listening my way through, oh, okay. which is so cool because that's not a medium. I, I'm an audio engineer, so I've worked with making audiobooks happen. So I know all of the ugly nitty gritty of like, you have to wear soft clothes. It takes a really long time. You know, sometimes you forget what a character sounds like. You have to go back and listen. It's an odyssey to get those recorded. Um, and she did such an amazing job with it. And it's just so cool to hear the book and sort of consume it through a different sense because I have read this story over and over again. We've revised it. We've, we've you know, I know so many different versions of it. Um, and to have the final version preserved in a medium that I really enjoy has been so cool. It's, she yeah. just did such a great job. Yeah, it's a really, it's a great audio book. It's great. On the printed page, it's just a wonderful story. For those of us in Sayasa Library, I just want you to know we do have the book here, the print copy, and it's also available on Overdrive. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I I love yeah. I love public libraries. They are the reason that I love reading. Um, so I am so pleased that it's making its way through the circulation. Yeah, and we have it. It's here. And Carcass gave it a very nice review. It says explorations of love, lost science, and the edges of the universe. And what is and is not possible in the space-time continuum, continuum, I can't even say it, collide in this story. It's reminiscent of the thoughtfulness, matter-of-fact science, and female strength of Connie Willis's well-known time-traveling series, beginning with Doomsday Book from 1992, as well as the world portrayed in Margot Lee Shetterly's Hidden Figures, 2016. A delightful and surprising story of a woman drawn through life by curiosity. So that's a very nice review from Kirkus. Which, I was so pleased when that one came through because that's yeah. kind of the joke with authors is that like Kirkus is such a hard judge. <laughs> so when that one came over, my publicist was like, you didn't get a star, but this is like a really good review. So right. like kudos, take, you know, take right. the flowers, have your laurels. <laughs> right. that, was, that was a fun one. It was one of the first ones that came in too. So oh. I was, I was super excited that like that set a very nice bar um, for what came after. And I, people have really been enjoying it. I've been so not surprised because I do, I do feel like it is a book that speaks, you know, even if you aren't a woman or a feminine person or, or sort of feel the same kind of attractions that Annie does or, or the same kind of drives throughout life. Um, I do think that it's a pretty universal story about wanting something better for yourself without quite knowing what it is and sort of just trusting your instinct and going with this idea of, always looking for something better and always choosing to look up instead of down. Um, so I do, I do hope that a lot of different kinds of people sort of find a, different things to love in it. Cause I think there is a lot in there that, that can be held on to. Now, when you wrote the book, did you write each timeline separately and then combine it? Or you just, how did you, how did you write? 
I believe the original outline, which I like hand wrote in my mom's garden, just sort of getting it started one day when I was on vacation. Um, it, I believe I, I outlined it out of order, um, but I still, I, the, the, the thing that is constant throughout it is that those like time cards have always been there at the beginning. Each sort of chapter change starts off with uh, the, the time, the place, right. the time, the place and the location. Um, <laughs> and that, to, I, I think the fact that I put the initial skeleton of the story together out of order um, I was still very careful to call to, you know, this scene that takes place in the present calls to a theme in the past. And the, the ties between the scenes are thematic or something to do with a character arc or something to do with a, a concept that's coming up again. So you're never, regardless of how far apart the scenes are in time, they are never very far apart in, in terms of content or purpose. Um, and that was something that my editor and I were very careful to make sure that we preserved because we did we did shuffle around some scenes a lot. There's there's um, a couple that were featured much later in the book that we actually dragged up to the front to sort of give people more of an idea of what drives this main character. And that is something that I think the third perspective of somebody who is not in my mind all the time um, was really valuable because that's always my thing is that when you're writing, and I'm sure other authors will say this too, is that you have such a deep, intimate, instinctive idea of what drives these characters and why they're making the choices that they are and sort of who they are as people, both on the surface and under the surface. And it sometimes can be hard to remember the difference between what we know as as the creators and what the readers know as the readers. So you, sometimes you're like, well, of course that choice makes sense because that character X Y Z A B C, um, but that might not be clear on the page. So the idea of knowing how much to reveal, I think, is a really fun exercise with with different kinds of characters. And I know that the way that we paste this book is going to be different than the way that we paste the next book, than the next one, the next one. There's, I think, every story needs a different hand with it. But I, I do think that everything I draft, early stages of books, at least the heart and the core of it, always stay the same. I think the the I'm I'm pretty intent on always making sure that I know what the heart of the book is trying to say. And then as I write, as I revise, as I get feedback, then it's sort of a matter of just uncovering that and letting it be clearer and clearer and clearer to, to the outside. Um, it's a, it's very, it's like, it's kind of like a uh, excavation process is, is writing stories. <laughs> and what about research? What kind of research did you have to do? I was really lucky with this one that the NASA archives are so rich <laughs> there is so much stored everywhere so many good primary sources manuals um reports that have been declassified i think some are still redacted in some ways but but a lot of what was done for apollo 11 it's such old technology now that it there's no secrets everybody knows how all this stuff works i think they got up to the moon with like 50 megabytes of computer space, which we can now have like smaller than your pinky right. finger, we can have that. Um, so there was, there's so much fact, factual knowledge out there about the launch. 
Um, but then when it came to constructing kind of the, the time travel aspect of it and the more theoretical parts, um, I did have to read some Einstein. <laughs> I did have to dive into some very intimidating texts on, you know, rockets and how time works and how we perceive dimensions, one, you know, first dimension, second dimension, third dimension, fourth dimension, and how time travel could even theoretically be possible and wrap my head around that and then find a way to make that work with the story and also feel organic. Um, and that was my biggest goal is I never want the reader to feel like I'm kind of jumping off the deep end and leaving them behind and saying like, you know, only people who have studied this stuff for real can understand this now. Cause I never, I did not study this stuff for real. It was very much a matter of doing the research and re finding the articles and, you know, digging and looking for the aspects of it that do make sense as just another piece of the fabric of, of our reality. It's very, when you really stop to think about it, the fact that, existence moves the way that it does and that our planet has happened in exactly the right order to get us all here in, in this um, time period, in this way, shape and form, in this current state of society. I think it's, it's, it's pretty incredible and it really is its own kind of strange. Um, and to start with that, to say, you know, nothing, Nothing is not weird. Everything is weird. Everything is a coincidence. Everything is just kind of a this glorious happenstance of, of getting us to where we are, starting on that foot of knowing that we are all sort of miracles in our own way um, makes it a lot easier to suspend disbelief and be like, yeah, this might happen. This could happen. And here's how, maybe. Um, it was fun to kind of throw my hat in the ring and, and see what I could do with my own theorizing. <laughs> You like reading time travel books? I love them. So I do. I, I grew up on a very steady diet of like Doctor Who and Torchwood <laughs> and, and all of that like fun soft sci-fi with fun quirky characters. And um I really enjoyed uh the Outlander series was, mm -hmm. was a big one for me when I was in college. Um anything that is like, you know, you already have something dramatic and something romantic, and then you add this this layer of like the ultimate yearn is you can't get the time back that you've already spent. So like, what if you could in some yeah. way, um, it's a super cool element that, that just adds to the pitch and the drama of it all. Yeah. One of my favorites, did you read 11, 22, 63 by Stephen King? No. Is that a good one? Absolutely. Great. <laughs> he walks through like a door. It's, it, it's really great. It's a fabulous book. I highly recommend oh, I love that. Yeah, That's that. yeah. Anything my, it's one of my most battered, dearly loved paperbacks that I think I literally read to filth. I think I read it until it fell apart, <laughs> um, was Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. And I know that it, it started as a television series and then he novelized it before the television series came out. Um, but that was one of the first stories that I read. I think I was like 13 or 14. And I was like, whoa, you know, you can do a lot with a story. And I don't think there's a time travel element to that one. If I remember correctly, it's, it's been a while since I read it. I should reread it again. Um, but it's a reality slip. There's this hole in reality that only a specific section of people are, are privy to. Um, and it's, it really was inspiring to see that by all accounts, that book is an adult book. Um, and it was one of the first capital A adult books that I read as a, as a young person. And the idea that a book for adults could still have as much 
hope and magic and whimsy to it as a children's book. Um, that was super, super inspiring to me. And I think it really has, I have always sought stories that have some element of, of playfulness to them, um, even amid very heavy themes, even amid very real stakes. Um, I do still like having the sense of, you know, there has to be a silver lining or else why wouldn't, why, why is anybody engaging with anything that I'm going to be putting if I'm just sort of repeating the same stuff that you could get from a news article or from a headline and everything is so heavy these days. Um, so I do like to still provide some sense of hope and forward looking. And, and I would, I, I would hope that there is hope that, that people right. can find in the pages. And I, I just want to always be putting out joy into the world in some form. Did you read The Time Traveler's Wife? That's awesome. Oh, yes. Yeah. I read it. I watched it. It was like Rachel McAdams at her heyday when I was a, when I was a teenager. So I, I devoured it. Yeah. Um, I, I loved the, the book... book so much that I didn't want to even watch the movie. Like, I didn't want yeah. to paint it. <laughs> yeah, the I book is wonderful. The yeah. And my, my editor told me, too, that when, when we were first discussing acquisition, um, she read The Time Traveler's Wife when she was in college. And it was one of those things where she was like, I didn't want to finish it. I wanted to, like, stretch it as far as yeah. possible. I think she told me she had, like, she finished it in the student center at her college uh like on a rainy day and she was crying she was like it was perfect no, <laughs> so it was a it was really a perfect match <laughs> one of the best time travel books there's no doubt about that so what are you working on now i'm assuming that this is going to be your you're going to try to make this your full-time career or we'll see what happens um i like my day job and okay. if i can make it work where i can do both that would be great um but i do have you know I will always have another book in the canon um I'm always writing I am working on things that have just for me that I do shorts all the time um sometimes I'll seek publication with them but I am just always seeking words on the page uh but yeah we're we're working on book two right now which has been announced um it's called the unbecoming of Margaret Wolf and mm -hmm. it's about two Shakespearean actors in the 50s sort of at the um, kind of like Elizabeth Taylor and um, Monty. I always forget his last name. The, the, the guy from Red River. I, f I forget, but the very, very like, you know, beautiful, glamorous actors in the 50s, um, but they are in a lavender marriage and they end up at a Shakespeare festival in the middle of the desert in 1956 and everything flies off the handlebars and they have to figure out, you know, what does this mean for them? So that's a fun one. And um, the others in the pipes, I have some ideas for some more weird bendy stuff. I have a Western spinning up. Um, so well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes. Now from your New Mexico roots. Yes, New Mexico. And I live in South Texas. So I am also very keen on, you know, there's a huge rich history here, um, particularly in Texas of, you know, the, the, the vaquero culture and everything here that has started and ended and spun on and continued. Um, there's, I think there's a lot of interesting places, particularly in Texas that are places that used to be big boom towns and have been completely wiped off the map. Um, so that's part of the fun of, of historical fiction is that I get to go digging and find things that were very brief moments of time, but meant a whole lot to the people who were there. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, it's ghost towns are fun. And uh, we'll see what I can make out of it. Okay, I just want to make a comment that in your book, there's an Evelyn. Yes. And, <laughs> and I'm reading Wellness by Nathan Hill. 
he's got an Evelyn in his book too. I'm like, what what is going on? All I think things. it's there's definitely a name resurgence. I I picked that one I think because I was poking around like name registries to see like what were the pop. I I do try to kind of stick to what were the popular names of the era that I'm writing in because I don't want like a name feeling totally out of place. Um, but it is it. I like it because it's a name that can be very stately or it can be something that's shortened and gets more familiar there's a lot of ways to to right. i'm evie everybody out of work calls me evie so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah evelyn in the book gets there there is some evie that you'll, you'll see as the relationship progresses yeah. there's it gets more friendly it gets warmer it's it's fun um yeah oh and it's i, I always visualize and then hear what the character sounds like kind of what their voice is like and then I'll play with I'll, I'll try to stick a couple names on them and see what sticks um Annie the name came first and then the mental image of her followed immediately after and I was like yep that's Annie <laughs> it has to be Annie. would you like to portray her in a movie who do you think would be oh Annie? gosh <laughs> um oh what's her name hold on I'm gonna look this up because okay. I was watching a movie with her in it the other day Caitlin Deaver she would yeah. be like the perfect she she's got such a she's beautiful and uh she can portray a lot of really amazing emotional range um from more timid to very bold um she's wonderful she's a she's an actress that she's been working for a long time i think since she was a kid but she's starting to really find her footing now i think with some really interesting productions so she yeah she would Kaylin beaver is like the top for that <laughs> recently that you saw uh she was in i don't remember the name of it and i saw it the other day it's very cool uh it's like an alien movie oh. it's called she was in justified as a as a recurring character and her most recent one was it's a movie called no one will save you it's about aliens um and it's like almost completely silent i think there are only three lines of dialogue in the whole movie oh my. <laughs> um, yeah i watched the sound design in that is incredible and i i have a lot of i i did a lot of sound design in my early career with with films and short film um so that to, that's always a feast for me when it's like ooh, it sounds good <laughs> um but yeah that's a cool movie she's a great actress she'd be a great annie in like the perfect world so we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah, that would be nice right making it into yeah That'd be fun. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> would you want to write the screenplay? Um, I don't know. It would. I think if it was the right team, that would be a really, really fun development. Um, I have written scripts before. I've written some short films. I've written some stage plays. Um, and it is a really cool medium for me because it is. I, I tend to lean a lot on the crutch of, of description and prose and and being able to be very intent and clear about what I think the scene should look like in my head um but it's fun because script writing is is like a it's an exercise in trust because you have to really factor in how much are you going to trust the actors with you know emotion tagging and things and to expect them to draw the right instinct from the words and then to trust a director as well and you know how much direction do you put on the page there are some plays that I've read that are just dialogue, but they're stunning. Um, and then there are some scripts that are very description heavy, action heavy. Um, and it really is, it, it's a different side of voice. It is, it's a different medium. So of course the way that voice comes across is different, but it's fun to read scripts. You know, I've read a bunch of Kubrick scripts. I love Stanley Kubrick. 
Um, I've read a bunch of Ari Aster scripts and, and, and people who have a hand with creation that I, that I think is really interesting and special. Um, they all write so differently. And it's, it is truly like picking up a book and different authors have a different way of writing things, different directors, different screenwriters. They all have a different way of doing it too. So it's cool. And it, it is a world that I think feels very far apart. But really, I think if you get into the meat of it, um, everyone's just telling stories. So yeah, I, I, I would definitely be interested in um, at least hitching a ride to see how they do it this for if it does get picked up anyway. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Great. I wish you luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, it's been so nice chatting with you. I, I really have enjoyed this. And Shoot the Moon is a great book. So if anyone's interested, please give us a call. We'll be happy to put it on hold for you and have it available as soon as it comes in. So this has been Turn the Page with Evelyn Hershkowitz. And my guest today is Isa Arson with her very first book, Shoot the Moon. So I thank, thank you, you so for much. Having me, Did you? I just want oh, to so were you able to go on tour at all with this book? Did you? Yes, I. Yeah. We had as of taping. Uh, this is October twelfth. We launched on October tenth. Um, the local store here in San Antonio's Nowhere Bookstore uh, from Jenny Lawson, and that was that was fun. It was a great launch. I did some reading, some Q and A, some signing, um, and then this coming weekend, I'm headed to Dallas on the fourteenth. Uh, at a Terabang Books. And then uh, a couple weeks in coming in New Mexico, I'll be in Albuquerque and Santa Fe on the 22nd and 23rd at Bookworks and Collected Works. Oh, yeah. um, and then I'll be at the Texas Book Festival in Austin in November. Um, oh, so yeah, uh, all the information's on the website. If anybody is in those locales, uh, come say hi. I'd be happy to see, see ya. That's great. I was in Santa Fe last year. It was beautiful. It's gorgeous. Beautiful it's my place. favorite place in the world. It's yeah. amazing. It is. It's really gorgeous. Okay. So I'm going to thank you again. So we're going to wrap up this turn the page podcast and close the chapter. Thank you so much, Issa, for being with us. Thanks for having me, Evelyn. I had a great okay. time. Thanks. Have a great day. Take care. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. It's time to close this chapter of turn the page. Join us for the next episode.